Happy Sabbath. It's nice to see all those smiling faces out there. And it's nice to see the rest of you, too. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan, and they are scraping the bottom of the barrel when they ask me to come up here. So keep me in your prayers that I don't stumble through my words and that I make sense. But this is truly an honor for me. I, I love God, and I love talking about God. I love Scripture. Um, I actually teach Sabbath school here, and uh, that is my more natural environment for me. So actually, that gives me a good opportunity to remind you guys that we actually have a Sabbath school, and you're all invited. Our group is relatively small usually, and I, I have this theory that a lot of you don't show up because you're afraid I'll call on you to speak out loud and talk, but that's not the way it works. I only do that to the people in the back of the class. So if you come up front... No, but I enjoy small groups. I enjoy talking about God. Preaching about God isn't really my normal thing. I'd much rather converse and share ideas because so often in class, I've been in this church. I was born into this church. But so often in class, someone says something new, and I say, wow, I never realized that before. And I love that. I love the back and forth. So please, if you get the chance, come to our class. I think it's wonderful. But right now, I have to do something that's less natural for me. So pray for me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Sabbath day and for this wonderful church family and the honor and privilege it is to gather in your name to worship. Thank you that we have the freedom to do so. I pray this morning that people will not see me, that I'll just be the guy holding up a tablet while you FaceTime with this family, that I won't get in the way. That's, that's my biggest prayer, I pray. Please bless us. Please open, please open our minds and our hearts and speak to us. Thank you. So this morning... I need practice at this, so bear with me. I, I tend to be very stationary, and, you know, this is, again, this is new for me, so this might seem very detached and unnatural, but I want to be better at this. You know, like the evangelists, they walk around, they don't, they don't read any notes or anything. That's great, I love that. I, I, I want to be like that, so bear with me. You might just find me standing in the corner for 40 minutes. Someone throw a pencil at me and say, you've got to move again. You've got to keep this fluid, because I don't want to be just stuck right here. But the message I chose this week was the cost of unity. Big topic. It should only be about four hours long, so, because it's, it's such a big topic. But I thought, considering everything that's going on, it's very, very appropriate, and this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So let's dive in. The cost of unity. Even as I say the words unity, instantly you guys envision different things. So you're not even united on what unity means. So when I say the word unity, instantly what comes to your mind is something that different that comes to my mind. The vision's a little bit different. So even just in the very concept of unity is different between all of us. Our ideas of unity are formed by our worldview, how we see the world and our place in it. That's our worldview, is how we see the world and our place in it. And unity is part of our worldview, and it varies from person to person. There are a lot of worldviews out there. Let's start with the definition of unity. The state of being united or joined as a whole. We can agree on that, right? Form an image there. Now, unity is our goal, and of course, it's a noble aspiration. That's where we want to be, right? We want to be united, especially as a family of God, amen? We want to be united. But where are we, where are we now as, as a people? Where are we as a, as a family? Where are we as an organization? Where are we as a country? We have to figure out where we want to be. We need to start by saying, where are we? You know when you go in the mall and there's a sticker that says, you are here, when it shows you a map? We're going to find out where we are. On every turn, we see division. 
in our culture, not just our culture, but all cultures, but especially our culture, because that's what we're paying attention to. We see division on every single turn, on every hand, and I guarantee you, if I stood at the door and you guys all lined up and we had a small conversation on the way out the door, I could find something I disagree with you on. Absolutely, I can guarantee you that. It's everywhere. It's very pervasive. If you don't see the fact that there's division everywhere, I have a feeling you've been sequestered to a cabin out in the woods for quite some time, especially over the last year, including the election, am I right? <laughs> so not unity. So we see division in politics, we see it in religion. We, just, we see it in absolutely everything, down to something as simple as sports. Again, we often think of things in the context of our culture, but there's a whole world out there. I have a friend from England, and he was talking to me about the, the issues of division we have in our country, um, you know, uh, politics, racism, religion. And he said, it's really interesting because you all think that you own the market on division. You think you own the market on racism. You think you own the market on, <laughs> on reasons to be divided. He's like, in England where I'm from, the northern part of England hates the southern part of England. When there's a soccer match or they call it football, there's often violence and bloodshed just because of the sport. And we're talking about a sport. We're not even talking about something that has a practical implication on our lives like supply and demand of food or... You guys all seeing what I'm talking about here? So it's very interesting speaking to people from other parts of the world. And guess what? They're having the same problems. They're just a slightly different flavor than what we're used to. So if you think that we own the market on division, you think we own the market on aggressiveness or hostility towards each other, we don't. So rest assured, the United States, we're not, we're not winning in that aspect, I don't think. So we can all feel that division that per, that's pervasive in our society and in our lives. But that shouldn't surprise us, especially as Christians, that shouldn't surprise us. What should surprise us is how the world is held together for so long. Am I right? When you see the problems facing every single culture, every race, every nation, it really should just be a surprise to us that it's held together this long. It's only by the grace of God that it has held together this long. Would you agree? We get a vision of that in Revelation. Revelation 7, 11. You get this vision of God talking about the angels holding back the four winds of strife in the four corners of the earth. That's symbolic. The wording used there is wind, but that's symbolic for strife when we're talking about symbolism and revelation. So God's actually holding the world together and kind of dampening people's evil tendencies just so we can survive. If he didn't do that, I guarantee you none of us would be here. So division shouldn't surprise us at all. There's countless raisin, uh, raisins. There's countless reasons, I'm sure. There's countless reasons to be divided. For instance, uh, my brother and his family just moved here, and he audaciously cho chose to buy a Ford. But I love him still. I do. <laughs> we don't need to be divided, and that's a the very small, we'll just use that as say, a little, little parable representative of what I'm talking about. We tease back and forth about because I'm a Dodge guy, he's a Ford guy. But again, even teasingly, there's, there's division there but that's just representative of, of a much bigger problem. So we know that the reason this division existed is because our first parents, created by God in God's image with God's values, putting God first, putting our fellow men second, putting ourselves third, that's how our first parents were created. But something changed, you guys know the story, and then our compasses became broken. The compass then turned inward to ourselves, so no longer is it God first, other people second, and me third, it's me first, me second, me third, 
and that's how this whole thing came up. So it shouldn't be surprised that we're divided on everything because if all my decisions are based on the context of me, 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 I think this sports team's better. I think Dodges are better than Fords. I think my political views are good. I think my God is right. Me, 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 me. It's not at all a surprise why we're so divided. I'm not trying to bum you guys out. <laughs> I just, if we can understand the mechanism, if we can understand where we are, it's very helpful in understanding where we want to go. So that's the human condition. If you guys want to debate me on that, come to SAB school. We'll talk about it. This isn't the format for that. So based on that, that that's the human condition, it's only by God's grace that we're held together as we are. It's only by God's grace that the whole world hasn't been consumed by evil. Praise God for his grace that that's the case, amen? Not that I've achieved, but I, I'm not the man I want to be, but thank God I'm not the man I was, right? We are, it's a journey. We're all getting there. And thank God that he takes us where we're at and he starts that journey in us to become different, to restore that, in, that initial compass the way it was supposed to be, amen? He doesn't just say, your skins are forgiven. Go ahead and go, go have fun. Go sin some more. There's great hope and promise in what God does for us. He changes us if we cooperate with him, and that's wonderful. And that's where we find ourselves today. We're all individuals here. We're at church. We're worshiping God, but again, we're still individual. We're very different. We might have some disagreements. We don't agree on everything. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. But we're, we've all began that journey where we're being transformed back into the image of God. Amen? So, based on that, I can move forward. Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. I just wanted to remind you of that. That's what God wants. He wants us to be transformed back into his image. He's not happy leaving us where we're at, sin sick and in pain. And he's not happy just binding up those wounds too. He wants us to be to the point where we don't hurt anymore and we don't hurt other people anymore. And that's beautiful. Sanctification is the process where God makes us, remakes us in his image. And I love that. Someone left their phone up here. Turn that on silent. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 30. A new heart also I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away your stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. I'm reading that for your edification, but I'm reading that for anyone here who might be new to the faith or not even in the faith yet. I'm explaining to you what God's design is for us. Does that make sense? He's telling us right there, and I could, if you open the Bible, that is the gist of the entire Bible right there, and I could read text after text after text to confirm that, but I don't think you guys want to sit through all that. So our journey begins, and we, be, we begin to be transformed into God's image. We're no longer self-centered, but God and others-centered, and it's a process. If, you've, if you're new and you've just come to God, and you might be feeling daunted by, I've made a little bit of progress with God, but not much, I'm still making these mistakes. Don't be discouraged. It's a process, and God understands that. Just like being born, uh, you wouldn't expect an infant to run a marathon when it's three days old. God understands that. So our journey begins, and we start, we start getting closer to God. We start becoming more like him. That's the mark of a Christian. It's not that we're perfect. It's that we are continuing, continuing that journey and that education with our God. Amen? The goal is to be perfect. Scripture has a lot to say about this. It says, be therefore perfect. He's talking about being matured in the faith. We can and will become like God. And it's possible for a human to do in God's power, and we know that 
based on the entirety of strip, Scripture, but at least one Enoch, right? He walked with God, and then he was not. And I joke with my Sabbath school class that I have this theory. He was 360 years old when he was translated to heaven. So I have this theory that sanctification takes 360 years. <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but it is possible, but it's a journey. Don't be discouraged. Now, again, I'm saying all this. This is all things you guys know, but we are humans. We need to be reminded of these things. But it's also laying a base for what I'm talking about for unity because one could make the mistake in assuming that we're all here together and we're all very united because we're part of one body and we're worshiping God, but that's not always the case. And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not trying to bum anybody out. I'm just saying we still even have divisions in our church, in our denomination, in our country, in our families. Raise your hand if you are immune to any of that. I kind of thought I'd get at least one. <laughs> and then I'd say, wow, good for you. <laughs> no, but I'm just reminding us where we are. And again, to not be discouraged by the fact that even within our denomination, and maybe even our, this building, our church family, we still have some divisions. Don't be discouraged. That's okay. I mean, it's okay that we're still in process. Do you see what I mean? But I'm encouraging us to not be okay where we are. And I want to show us where God wants us to be, and which you guys already know. But again, being human we go through it again and we remind you. You ever wonder why God repeats himself so much in the Bible? He repeats, repeats, because we forget. He's basically our parent, but except he's a lot nicer and say, how many times have I told you? So we want to be united. You guys remember that old adage, uh, a house divided against itself cannot stand? You guys remember who said that? That's right, President Lincoln. And he said that right in the dead center of a civil war where this house, this wonderful experiment that it's been called, was divided against itself. And he said that he realized if we're divided, we cannot stand because we had just gotten through the Revolutionary War gaining our independence from those soccer hooligans over in England. And now all of a sudden we are internally divided. And it's not that much later. We always find reasons for division. There's always a new problem. He was just realizing that and he's saying... And it's true of families, it's true of churches, it's true of nations. So what do we do with all this information that we know we are not at all united? Again, even in our own church, and I'm, I keep saying church because I'm trying to bring it back around to us personally because it, it's a lot more easy to relate to than saying the country. You know, there's 330 some odd million of us in the country, so it's a little harder to relate to. So when I say country, when I'm talking about politics, sometimes it's easier to say the word community because we can relate to that better. Like for instance, communism or socialism would work in a community, a small community, if you all shared the exact same values. They call that being homogenized. If you're all homogenous, a, a commune way of living can work in a community. And you could see how that would be true. It works for tribes and stuff like that. So I say community because it's much more relatable to us. But God doesn't want us to be united with the world. I'm not talking about a unity that we create with the world. There's a big push right now for total unity and a total whitewash of any differences. You know what I'm talking about? There's no difference in, in, in anything, so we'll all be exactly the same. And God never designed that to be so. He wants us to be different because it's a beautiful thing that we're different. If everyone was exactly like me, it would be one bald planet. Uh, let me tell you, it's, it's great that we're all very, very different, and that's wonderful. But those differences don't need to cause division, but differences are good. Differences are very good. But we are supposed to be different than the world. There's not supposed to be a uniting of us as Christians with the world. We're supposed to be in the world. God leaves us here. He doesn't pull us from the game and translate us to heaven right now because 
this is where we develop our characters and this is where we help everybody else as well. So why would he pull us from the game? So he says to be in the world but not of the world. We're not actuated by the same spirit. Christ said Satan is the God of this world. So if you want to be of this world, that means Satan is your God. So we are living, so to speak, in a bubble, in a bubble down here in, a, in an unnatural environment for a Christian. Does that make sense? We're like scuba divers. We get the air from Christ to be in this environment we don't really belong in so we can do the work of God. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen? amen? Keep breathing that air and keep being a blessing. So be in the world, but don't be of the world. So the unity I'm talking about is not, uh, not us uniting ourselves with people who are opposed to God. That is unnatural, and God doesn't want that. And the only reason I'm specifying that is, again, because there's a big push in, co in popular culture right now that we all should be exactly united. Let's take anything that divides away. Let's take religion away. Let's take gender away. Let's take gender recognition or racial recognition away. And let's all just be, what uh, I don't want to say whitewashed because that sounds racist as well. Let's all just be united in, in the same. And that's, that's not God's plan. The God, God's plan is for us to be united in him. The closer we draw to him, the closer we draw together. You guys ever seen that Christian diagram they make of the, the wagon wheel with the spokes? And we're all out here. Christ is in center. And the, cent the closer we get to Christ, guess what? The closer we're getting together. So we're supposed to be unified and united in Christ. We're not supposed to be just united with people who are opposed to God just for the sake of being united. Does that make sense? I don't think I said that very well, but I think you know what I meant. Yeah, so in Ephesians 5.11, God says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So we're also not just supposed to stand aloof from people who are far off from God and say, oh, they're dirty. I'm not going to go anywhere near them. It's like, no, it's our job, and it should be our passion to warn them off dangerous ground. If you care about someone, you warn them off of dangerous ground. Amen? So many of us are afraid to talk about God now or to say, brother or sister, this is killing you. You're sinning. You need God. Because nowadays that's, look, that's looked at as being threatening or being intolerant. Does that make sense? But, but love for someone can't help but warn them off of the ground they occupy if it's dangerous ground. Amen? So how do we reconcile all this? How do we not be united but we still be invested and we care? You see what I mean? You see the challenge of a Christian? How did Christ do it? The only, the only way we will ever individually achieve unity with any other individuals, regardless whether it's our family or our church, anything, is by us drawing nearer to God and receiving from him to be like him. Jesus himself, our creator God, our savior, when he was on earth, on earth, he wasn't united with the world around him. He was in the world, working for the world, but he wasn't united with the world. Does that make sense? If the world was already okay, he wouldn't need to be here. He wouldn't need to show up. So if we're not united as a body, as the body of Christ, if we're not united, and again, I'm not pointing fingers, just unity is a very important topic, and it's a very important issue, but if we're not united, then we're not where God wants us to be. John 17, 20, I do not pray for these alone. This is Christ speaking. If you read this in your Bibles, if you, if you scroll to it yourself just now, this is red letter. Do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know, that, that's interesting. I, I, I love that because once I realized that was God, Christ talking about me, it really brought it home for me because here Christ is, he's kneeling before his father and he's praying for his disciples. He's like, I'm not praying just for my disciples, but I'm praying for anybody who will believe on me through their word. And guess what? 
we're reading the New Testament, we're reading their words. So he's talking about us. We're believing on Christ through their words. So Christ is praying for us. Amen? Once you realize that, that's like, wow, that's really cool. He's praying, he's praying for me. Imagine that, Christ praying for you. That they will be as one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. So what's, how is the world going to believe that Christ was sent of God? Is if we are united. Does that make sense? So conversely, if we're not united, we're robbing the gospel of its power to touch people's hearts. They're like, what's your God among all these other gods? Like Pharaoh of old, I know not God. That the world may know that you sent me. That's how the world will know that we are from God, as if we are united and we are one. United in our love of God and our purpose for our mankind, amen? That's unity. I love going further. So in John 17, if you get to verse 22, Jesus says, And the glory which you gave me, I give them, that they may be one just as we are one. So do you hear, are you hearing the key there? God is giving us power to be united. Not arbitrarily and set it, forget it. Like here, here here's, here's this little gem that contains this power when we are united with Christ personally and we're connecting with him in devotion and worship, we receive from him so we can be like him. I don't know if you guys did your Sabbath school lesson this week, but our study guide, we went through the sin of David. And what we realized in our class this morning we were talking about is the reason David, this holy man of God, God called him his friend, the reason he made such a big blunder is he had been neglecting his relationship with God to the point where he was able to commit great sin worthy of death. So if we're not connected to God and we can do that, we certainly aren't united and we're cer certainly not doing God's work, amen? Just to give you an example of what can happen on the other end of it. So God is saying, give them your glory so they can be one. And that word glory there, it doesn't mean the glory you think about the grandeur of Christ's throne you know, with the rainbow and the gold. That's not the glory he's talking about. That's the glory, that same word is used back in Exodus 34, <laughs> Moses had said to God, show me your glory. So, so go, what does God do? I love this. Exodus 34, 6, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and giving iniquity and forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. Moses said, show me your glory. And what did God do? God told him about his character. He said, this is who I am. It wouldn't have helped Moses to see a bunch of gold and rainbows and pearls and things that we can't even describe or imagine. What was for Moses is in our great good was seeing God's character. That is God's glory. So when Christ is praying to the Father when he's on earth, he's praying for his disciples, he's praying for you and I. He says, he says give them your glory. Give them your character. You kind of following my train of logic here? So that's where we should be attaining to. As believers, we should be united in our pursuit of God's character. And only as we draw closer to him will we draw closer together and be able to be united. The unnatural, unrenewed heart of man is not like that. We covered that earlier. <laughs> I could go on and on about that, actually. I love philosophy and I love history. And if you study either of those, <laughs> you're gonna know that men have never been united about anything. <laughs> Temporarily, yes. Common enemy, yes. But it never lasts. The only lasting peace and unity is in Christ. We should each individually be energized by God's spirit and the realization of how he values each of us. 
He doesn't just value me. I love how he values me. That's wonderful. But it's not just me. He values each and every one of you, saved or unsaved, sinner or repentant. He loves all of us so much that he gave his son to die for us just in the hope that we would make that decision for him. That's how much he loves every single one of you. So if you're ever struggling with discouragement or feeling valueless, remind yourself of that. What God paid for you, and that's the value. You don't, you're only worth what someone's willing to pay, right? They say that about anything, commodities, houses. It's only worth what someone's, someone's willing to pay, which is interesting because the housing market's out of control and people are paying way too much. But that's the problem. It's driving it out of control. But God was willing to pay so much for us. And Christ calls his church his body. So if we're his body and we're not united, what does that say? We are each wonderful cells that make up the body of Christ. Christ often refers to the church as his body. How important that be we be united then. I'm sure some of us, to one degree or another, understand how the cells work in our own body. They work for us. They work with each other for our benefit. When one cell is not working for the whole, but rather working for itself, promoting itself, duplicating itself over and over again, what do we call that? Cancer. We call that cancer. So we're all familiar with that concept. Satan revels in how successful he has been at dividing all of us and all the ensuing pain he's created as a result. So unity, unity seems very attractive. It's an idea we're like, wow, that's a good idea. I'd love to achieve that. But how do we achieve that? Where the rubber hits the road is in our actions. And if our actions aren't ones of uniting us in Christ, then that's just simply a symptom of not receiving from God the power to be renewed. Does that make sense? I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, and I won't ask anyone to raise their hands, but if, you are, if we are struggling with love for people in our hearts, like, oh, <laughs> I'm sure it just happens to me. But that's, an, that's a good indicator and an acid test of where our relationship is with God. So it's okay to come to God and say, wow, God, I'm realizing that I'm off base. I'm carrying a lot of antagonism. I'm carrying a lot of maybe toxicness, anger, frustration, hate maybe. I'm carrying all this. And God's going to say, I'm not surprised. That's who you are as a species. But I can help you with that. So don't be afraid to approach God and ask him to help with that. That's what God does. That's what, he's, that's what he's offering to us all the time, right? It's not a surprise to him. I think the, the big error, and I say this all the time, but I think the most successful tool of Satan is discouragement. So if we are convicted by God from in Scripture or God's voice talking to us how far we are from God, that shouldn't discourage us. We shouldn't be discouraged to all of a sudden find ourselves over here. Like, kind of like that story of King David this morning when Nathan the prophet convicted him of his sin. He said, I'm a great sinner. He realized how far he had gotten from God and he didn't give up in despair. And that's what, one thing I love about God, one, one of the many things I love about God. We read in that same scripture before he had even pronounced sentence, before he finished his sentence, he said, and I, I've forgiven you. So God doesn't want to discourage us by our sins, but he has to warn us to, away from our sins, right? So don't be discouraged. Approach God. Say, you know what, God, I realize I'm probably part of the problem that we're not unified my attitude, my heart needs to be re renewed, and that's fine. We all need to pray that prayer. But we're doing the work when we do that. Do you understand what I mean? God doesn't just say, 
here, I'll do everything, and you just sit there. <laughs> we participate in our salvation. We approach God. We say, God, give, give to me from you so I can go for you. Give to me so I can be like you. I think I'm spending too much time over here. Better readjust. It seems brighter over here. I think that's what's going on. Must be part fly. So I think you see what I'm getting at. And again, let's, let's bring the scope down a little bit narrower. Even within our denomination, we have disagreements. We have disagreements over worship. We have disagreements over women's ordination. And we have other disagreements. And I'm not trying to bring those out and, you know, kind of open cans of worms here. Just some of you might not be aware that even within our own denomination, we're not all agreed on certain points of, of uh, theology. So how do we deal with that as individuals? I'm not talking about as a church. I'm talking about individuals. Because, again, as individuals, the closer we draw to Christ, the more patient we are with people that don't share our views. Does that make sense? And so although those issues perhaps are important issues and, and can and should and would be dealt with, I'm not talking about those issues right now. I'm talking about the issues of our hearts and how we deal with it as individuals. Because it is perfectly understandable for us to not agree on every single point of philosophy, but yet still be in Christ and be saved. Amen? Don't get me wrong. There are points of, of theology, points in God's word, that I'm positive we need to get right in order to be saved. I, I, I totally agree with that. But at the same time, if we're all at different areas or different portions of our journey, we haven't gotten convicted on something yet, we're not quite there yet. Do you understand what I mean? I'm not doing a great job describing that. I just wanted to make sure you didn't think I was saying, ah, theology doesn't matter. Your truth, my truth, what does it matter? They all lead to God. That's, that's clearly not true. Scripture doesn't teach that. What I mean is, though, when we approach these differences in an attempt to be unified, it needs to come from an individual place in everyone's heart where they're being gentle and patient and kind with the people on the other end of it. Um, how many of you have been to a church potluck? Show me your hands. It's not rhetorical. I'm going to see some hands wow, you guys need to go to potluck. You're missing out. There's like three people out there that have been to potluck. Okay, considering most of you apparently haven't been, you wouldn't understand. In our church, if you've ever seen someone accidentally bring like a brisket to potluck, you will see people lose their minds. <laughs> They're not un unkind, but you see my words like, oh, oh my word. It throws people for a loop, and that's just, that's just one example of how sometimes our differences, we can instantly, again, be divided, and we shouldn't be. You see what I mean? Again, back on a very personal level, how am I going to treat you when you come to the, your first potluck and you bring an entire uh, luau pig with an apple in his mouth to our potluck? Um, <laughs> but instead of responding in typical, unrenewed human heart way, we res respond as Christians, amen? We don't need to react. We don't need to be reactive. We don't need to be antagonistic. We can have differences. We can have... You have strong personalities, and you may have strong arguments for this or for that, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm just talking about the way we treat people, the way we treat each other, because we will never improve as an individual or as a species or as a religion if we don't do that. So here's, let me, let me close with this. John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Amen? Amen? So, briefly, if you'll permit me, I'm going a little bit over on time, but let me tell you, there is a counterfeit to love. I don't know if you guys know this. There's a counterfeit to love, and it's called sentimentalism. And the counterfeit to love is actually quite the opposite of love, where love is 
patient, love is kind, love is forgiving. You guys know that one, right? Sentimentalism is not the same thing. Sentimentalism is when your kid wants to load up on Apple Jacks covered in a gallon of syrup and another gallon of Coke and then another gallon of some and the donuts, and then you say, they want it, I love them, you can have it. That's sentimentalism. That is not love. Sentimentalism is injurious to you and the person you are loving. It's injurious to your relationship, whereas love does people's greatest good for the sake of good. Amen? So when you're loving one another, it doesn't necessarily mean not paying attention to anything and saying, whatever you do is fine. No, quite the opposite. Christ said, reprove people if they're on dangerous ground. So if you love people, you want their best good. Amen? Amen. So your homework is to, to try and find that balance. And it's difficult. It's very difficult for all of us. Confrontation is difficult. Telling someone you care about that they're doing something injurious to themselves is difficult. All these things are very difficult, and God understands that. But we want God to fill us with his spirit so much that we love people so much that we can't help but try and then get better at these things, amen? And only when that happens will we actually be unified as a, as a church or as families or anything else. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. Just remember, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil, and it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Isn't that beautiful? So if we have that heart of Christ in us, and that's, those are the fruits of the Spirit right there, how can we not be united if you actually love? Because you read, read love isn't puffed up. It's not promoting itself, and it's not provoked. You can't provoke me. I'm not going to react if you behave poorly to me. I'm not going to be provoked because I love you. I see you acting out. I I, you're obviously struggling. I'm here for you. That really throws people off when they're confronting you. And that's not natural for us. And if, if I just described you and you're like, oh, I don't know how you do that, man. I get so... That's natural. Don't be surprised by that. Just approach closer to God. God will change these things in us. And I think that's wonderful and it's beautiful. And just remember, conversely to what I just said, 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God, but yet he hates his brother, he is a liar. God says that. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? So if you're harboring hatred or anger in your heart towards anybody or any group of people or anything like that, that's not from God. You are a liar. And to just kind of put a, one more nail on that point, 1 John 3.15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So the only thing Christians should hate is sin. And we love the sinner just like God does. But the unregenerated heart, the normal person who hasn't been transformed by God's grace, loves the sin but hates the sinner. And they become hypocritical. Can you believe they did that even though I just did it? You know what I mean? It's, it's hypocritical. So we should only hate sin when we should love people. So the title of the message today was The Cost of Unity. Are you guys seeing what that cost is as we did this big mathematical equation, what the sum was down there? The cost of unity is yourself. We humble ourselves and we put other people first and regardless of the disagreement. And you know what? We can disagree but not be disagreeable right? If you and I talk about a point of theology and I disagree, I don't see it that way, we can still be friends. 
And indeed we should. Because the reality is, is someday when you and I both get to heaven, we're like, all right, Jesus, settle this for us. <laughs> and he'd be like, round one goes to Sharon. <laughs> and guess what? I'll be like, right on. That's cool. Thank you for clearing that up. So we don't need to be disagreeable. So we should always be as Christ, which is patient, loving, and kind, and give people the respect they deserve to have the beliefs they, they have. We can tell them about our God. Of course we should. But we don't beat them with the Bible, especially people are in our own church, or especially any other living human being, right? So the cost of unity is me. That's the cost. It's my pride. It's me, because if I'm promoting myself all the time, that's why there can't be any unity. It's like mixing oil with water. Take me out of the equation, and then it'll work. So let's all go forth from today, letting our prayer be Psalm 5110. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again so much for helping me not get in the way of you talking to this group. We pray that your words will sink deep into the very soul of who we are and take root. Today, again, we rededicate ourselves to that great ascent, that great project, that great experiment of experiencing you and drawing close to you and receiving from you so we can be like you and go for you. We recommit to that and we ask for your strength, your guidance, and your wisdom in that pursuit, the most noble of pursuits. Please go with us as we go into our week, allowing us to be a blessing to the world and an honor to your name. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.